You're listening to The Ridge Weekly Podcast. To learn more about Chestnut Ridge Church, visit us online at theridge.church. In a world where the very concept of truth is under attack, we are called upon to know the truth and to be able to defend it. The truth can impact our relationship with God, and it can lead to true freedom. Unfortunately, many in our society no longer value the truth, and they don't know where to turn in order to find it. Listen to this talk from the series, Truth Is, as we seek to know how we can graciously stand firm in the truth as we face those in our society who look to undermine it. Well, good morning. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year's. Uh, Our family certainly did, celebrating the birth of Christ, but also just the uh, small family get-togethers. It was just a wonderful time, but I, I have trouble believing we're already into the new year, and it's the start of a new series related to the subject of truth. The title for this new series is Truth Is. And maybe you've heard people use that expression before. They say the truth is, and then they make some kind of a statement, like maybe they'd say, truth is, I'm not really that hungry. Or, or truth is, I don't, I don't like that shirt, it's hideous. Or, or the truth is, and this is the truth, every time I wear this sweater, I feel like Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. It's like, you know, I've had to ask people before, like, is that what you think of when you see me wearing this sweater? The truth is, the problem is, in our world today, um, truth is in short supply. It's hard to find the truth. There are certain things that are so obviously true that people deny these days, and so people talk about their truth instead of the truth, things that... They used to be everyone agreed to, but now it's hard to even have a discussion with people because we can't agree in terms of what the truth is. We live in a world that has fake news. In fact, in today's newspaper, there's an article there, will fake news ruin the democracy? Because about a billion people are gonna be voting democratically for leaders coming up here. Fake news, it's, it's everywhere. Media outlets have been caught producing stories that they knew weren't true. They just knew it wasn't true. Politicians look right at the camera. They say certain things. It's not true. Lies are everywhere. Daniel, the prophet, wrote that in the last days, the truth was going to be cast down to the ground. Truth would be something that would be like just trampled underfoot like dirt. And that's true of a lot of people these days. They don't value truth. They value much more their feelings, but as the expression goes, the truth doesn't care about your feelings, but feelings become more important than what is truth. Technology is not helped. I mean, technology could be good or bad, but in, in this situation, it's, it's, there's just a lot of lying going on related to technology. And so, for example, a lot of people will post pictures of things about themselves that aren't true. Now, a lot of that's just fun. So I'm, I, you know, some of those filters are hilarious or people do little filters and this and that, that's fine. But if you're applying for a job or it's a, an app, a dating app or something, and you're putting a picture that sheds 10 years off of your face and a few dozen pounds, it's not the truth. And the thing about the truth is it has a way of, of coming out Truth is, is seen, it's exposed at some point or another, but it's getting easier and easier to lie. And so one of the commercials I noticed over the break was a, a commercial for, I think it was Google Phone. And on this commercial, they had a father that's tossing his infant into the air, maybe three feet, 
But then you take the camera and you can, you can make one edit and suddenly you're tossing the baby 10 feet instead of three. And then you post that online. Wow, look, you tossed your baby way up in the air. You can't tell the difference. And experts in AI, artificial intelligence, are scared to death about where this thing's going. Because they can put words in your mouth you never said. They, they can make it look like you really said certain things that you didn't say. This is the world that we live in. Now, my challenge here for us today and with this series is that we love the truth. That we should have a heart that wants to celebrate the truth, to stand up for the truth, even though it's not easy, that we're not going to be afraid of the truth, that we're going we're to live out the truth in our lives. Now, this isn't always easy. I acknowledge that because there are times I know in my own life where something was true, but I had trouble accepting it. But ultimately, we're better off when we accept what the truth is. Now, some of the questions I hope to address throughout this series are questions such as, is it possible for us to even know the truth? Which it's harder, again, I think it's getting harder and harder to distinguish what is true and what is false these days. Or why is it important for us to know the truth? Why does it matter? I want to address that subject today. And where do we turn for the truth? Where do you go as your source for truth? And how can we grow in our discernment so that we, we are the kind of people who could distinguish between truth and error? These are a number of the questions I hope to address in the weeks ahead. But today, specifically, my takeaway is that the truth matters. It really matters. And I want to give you th three reasons why. Now, the bottom line is that we're held accountable to the truth regardless of whether we believe it or not. If the truth is the truth, it's the truth we're held accountable. But I want to give you three reasons why the church matters, or I'm sorry, the truth matters so much. First of all, the truth can save us. Now, the word save means to rescue. It means to deliver. The truth has the ability to save us spiritually and physically. Let me talk about both of these. First of all, spiritually. I recognize that one of the most offensive things that Christians say is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Uh, and we say that because that's what Jesus said. He made that claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Apostle Paul affirmed the same truth. He said there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that's been given among people by which we must be saved. So that's kind of a hard truth because it implies that if, well, if, if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to heaven. It more than implies that. The real issue for us today, though, is, is it true? Because if it's true, it's a big deal, you know? In a couple weeks, one of my talks, I want to just focus on why we believe that that statement is indeed true. But our eternal destiny rests on that, whether or not that's true or not. In John chapter 8, 30 to 36, Jesus had an interesting discussion with some of the religious leaders. Let's begin reading in verse 30. We read, as he was saying these things, talking about Jesus, he was teaching various things. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, that's my point here today, that the truth can save us. It can set us free. It can release us. I also like the fact that Jesus said you can know the truth. And it is true, you can know the truth. 
If you're a Christian, you can know the truth. You know where you stand with God. I, I can't prove it to you. I can't prove to you that I know. In my heart, I know, though, it's true. And I think part of that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But anyway, Jesus said, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. Then he continued, we, we are descendants of Abraham, they answered. So this is the leader's response. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, a couple things about this. Number one, they, they come back to Jesus and they say, I don't know why you're talking about slavery because we've never been enslaved to anyone. So immediately in their minds, they're thinking of physical slavery. They don't have the right idea, but they're thinking physical slavery, and they make the point, we've never been enslaved. And I'm thinking, you liars. You know, what do you mean you've never been enslaved? You came out of Egypt. You came out of Assyria. You came out of Babylon. Now you're living under Roman, Roman Empire. I know you're not technically slaves, but you're, we're, not, we're free. No, you're not. But Jesus wasn't dealing with physical slavery here. He was talking spiritually. And so he made this point again, verse 32, Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom, how the truth can set us free from the penalty and the power of sin. This is what Jesus offers us. Forgiveness from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin. We are set free. And if you're a Christian here today, you know that this is true. Every week or every month here, we have, you know, baptisms and people share their stories and how Jesus changed their lives, the difference he made in their lives. I could have a hundred of you, 200 come up here and say, listen, tell me, is it true that Jesus has changed you, that he has set you free? from the penalty and power of sin, and you would say, yes, he's, he's, he's set me free. A few verses later in John 8, 36, we, we read these words of Jesus. He said, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. If he sets you free, you're really free. That, that's, that's the truth. That is the assurance that we have. That is what we want to hold on to, this truth. Now, the implication here is if, if you don't have the Son, or with other verses, if you don't believe in the Son, then you're not a child of God. You are not free. And this is why this is such an important thing. This is why the truth matters, because it can save us spiritually. Apostle Paul said there is, is salvation in no one else, and he talked about how the, the gospel is the power of God, the good news, the truth, is the power to save us. And so it rescues us spiritually. But it also... The truth can help us physically in a lot of different ways. But we just need the truth in our lives. So recently, I was reflecting on the fact that it's been four years since I had that little appendix issue, which I talk about every once in a while. My appendix turned gangrene inside. And I thought I had a stomachache. And that was the truth I held on to. I refused to believe it was anything worse than that. I really did. I thought, well, I got bathroom issues. I got a stomach ache. My wife is saying, go to the doctor. 
I'd say, I don't want to go to the doctor. It wasn't because I was afraid to hear the truth, which, by the way, that's why some don't go to the doctor. They don't want to hear the truth. They're afraid if I go, the doctor's going to say, you've got whatever. We don't want to hear that. But that wasn't the case with me, with this stomach ache that had lasted four solid days. It wasn't that I was afraid to go to the doctor. No, I was enjoying my cabin two hours away. I just didn't want to drive to the doctor. It's like, I don't want to go. And it was more convenient to hold on to the truth I was telling myself in my self-diagnosis. I knew what was wrong. I believed wrongly that the pain would just go away on its own. I was not fine. I was very sick. And we need the truth sometimes, whether we understand it or not. The truth can be scary, but it helps us. It can save us spiritually. But in my case, with this illness, it, it saved me physically. The truth was the thing that allowed them to get at the root issue and get things solved. And that's what we need the truth for. So the truth can save us. Number two, second reason why the truth matters is it can protect us. And I want to suggest two ways in which the, the truth protects us. Number one is it protects us against lies. In other words, if we cling to the truth, the lies are going to have a hard time clinging to us. If, we, if we're walking in the truth and living in the truth, we're going to see the lies. We're going to see the deception. But second, the, the truth protects us in, in some other ways, which I'll talk about here in just a minute, specifically the consequences of things. In other words, sometimes the truth doesn't save us, but it protects us from the consequences of whatever the lie is that we choose to believe. Now, let me talk about this first point here about how the truth can protect us from the lies. When I first moved to Morgantown here, I got a job at a large uh, local bank. I was hired as a, a teller. And, um, and I was there for six months. I got my first review. And a day after I got my six months review, I got a phone call saying, could you take over the drive-up facility for us? Would you, would you mind getting a promotion and be in charge of the drive-up facility for the main branch? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And so I started working as a supervisor of this drive-up facility. And in that capacity, uh, I would arrive early. I'd de-arm the thing because it's obviously got alarms and things. And I'd open up the vault and I'd get the cash drawers for the other tellers. I'd get them their, their cash drawers and make sure everything was fine, and then we'd be up for business. At the end of the day, they were supposed to balance their cash drawers. Everything had to, of course, match. You know, what they gave and whatever, it has to all match. And so if they had trouble, I would help them balance. I'd, I'd count the money with them or whatever else. But in, in this role as supervisor, occasionally uh, a customer would want to talk with me instead of the teller. You know, the teller would have some issue that they'd want to bring to my attention. And so I'd be called in to deal with this situation. Well, one day, a guy walked in with a $100 bill, and he wanted to, to exchange it for 20s. Uh, the problem was that the $100 bill that he had was seared or burned on, on one of the ends. And so two of the corners were burned a little bit. And the teller didn't know if that just, you know, made it so it wasn't legal tender anymore. And so the, the teller brought it to me and would you, can we cash this because it's burned on the edges? And my response is, no, we can't cash it. But it's not because it's burned on the edges. I said, it's because it's counterfeit. And his eye got really big, and, I, and he, he just couldn't, he, how do you know it's counterfeit? 
How do you know it's counterfeit? And I'm standing there thinking, how don't you know it's counterfeit? We're handling money all day long. It, it, the feel of the paper was not right. Now, this was before, by the way, those little pens. Now they can just solve it, you know, use those yellow, yellow pens and whatever. But this was before that, which gives you an idea that I'm over 40. 41, that's it. That's what I am, 40, 41 here. Um, no, I knew it was counterfeit, and it was. I sent it to the FBI. They confirmed it was counterfeit. I, I suspect the guy that tried to pull this off might have gotten in trouble. Maybe it was innocent. I don't know about that part of it. I understand, though, that when uh, they're training people in the FBI or other places to recognize counterfeit money, they don't give them a bunch of counterfeit bills to study. No, they give them the original. They say, you study this. You learn everything you can about this. You see, I had been handling, you know, I was a supervisor for a year and a half. I'd been handling money, tens of thousands of bills for so long that if I were blindfolded, I would have known that was counterfeit. Like, no, that's not, that's not it. But it's the original that allows me to see it. The truth is what allows you to see the lie. Now, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, we read that the entire world one day is going to be deceived. They're going to be deceived by a world leader that's going to come along, and different ones have different views about end times events, but I believe there's going to be a, a guy called the Antichrist that's going to show up, and the whole world's going to fall for his lies. In 2 Thessalonians 2, though, Paul explains why they're going to fall for the lies. Let me read it. The coming of the lawless one, is 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one, that's, I would say, the Antichrist, is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. In other words, the Satan's going to use trickery somehow. And with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish, and here's the point, they perish because... They did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. They did not accept the love, just to have a love for the truth so that they might be saved. goes on to say, for this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what's false, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. That's an interesting phrase, by the way. The ones who are condemned are ones who didn't believe the truth. Instead, they enjoyed unrighteousness. In other words, they enjoyed sin more than the truth. This happens a lot these days. Let me give you an example. God's Word says flee immorality. And re regardless of what you may hear out there, immorality refers to any sexual activity with someone with whom you're not married. Flee immorality. It's all over in the Bible. Old and New Testaments, it's kind of a problem flee immorality. But people don't like that truth. They don't like the truth of that, and so they've decided, no, it's okay. Everything's okay. All kinds of scenarios. You could plug something else in there, whatever you want there. But there's the truth of God's Word, what God's Word says about things, but people set aside the truth, and they live in unrighteousness, and then they begin to defend their lifestyle. And so they begin to argue, well, it's not wrong. And, and then they have all the reasons why it's wrong. And they become deceived. Well, what this passage just said is that they become deceived because they 
don't love the truth. And so if you let go of the truth, you'll believe lies, and God's going to let you. So it's okay, fine, you want to believe the lie. And so these are people, it says they didn't believe the truth, but enjoyed unrighteousness. So they don't want to know the truth. That's a lot of people these days. They don't want to know the truth. But if you reject the truth, you're susceptible to the lies. That's what happens. And more and more, this is going to be the case. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine or truth, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. This can also be translated to say that they're going to hire people or they're going to get teachers for themselves who will say what they want the teacher to say, not the truth, but say what you hope you'll hear. And that's what people are doing these days. Verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to miss. Now again, sometimes the truth is hard, hard to hear, but there are consequences to denying the truth. Natural consequences to denying the truth happen. It's, you don't want to be someone who denies the truth. Let me give you an example. I mentioned in my first point how the truth saves, but the truth also protects us from the consequences of the lies. And so let me give you an example of this. Most of you have probably seen uh, the, the program America's Got Talent. And every year on America's Got, America's Got Talent, of course, they, uh, they will, they'll put one or two people up there that are horrible, maybe horrible singers, for example, really, really bad singers. And then the judges will lay into them at the end. You know, you're horrible. You're this or that. Simon Cowell, for example, he's always the one, he's the one that's, that's you know, allowed to say all these horrible things about the person, which they are horrible sometimes. But to his credit, what he's frustrated about, at least from what I've seen on the program, he's frustrated because the parents won't tell the kid. Friends won't tell him. Everybody says you're the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And then the person goes up to sing and, or some act or something, and they're just, not, they're just not good. So the judges say you're not good. Well, what happens? It sometimes leads to almost a fight. And, and it, it shouldn't have to. Sometimes I've seen people booed off the stage. Literally, everybody's booing them. And they won't believe it. They won't accept the truth. Well, then you're a victim of your own lie. See, there are consequences to not believing. The truth can be a solid foundation. Our goal should be to love the truth. And again, we're held accountable to the truth whether we believe it or not. So in John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that's a tough statement. I get it. I understand. We live in a pluralistic society where all everybody's even, you know, and no religion should say theirs is right. But if it's true, it's true. Now, some of you will have to wrestle whether it's true, and that'll be one of the talks I want to be, be doing here. But we're all going to be held, held accountable to the truth. Let me give you another example. There are a lot of people these days, more and more, that I see online anyway, and maybe it's their algorithm, because it might be I see one, and then they show a bunch of them, I don't know. But more and more, I've seen people online that are saying things like, there is no God... I would believe there were a God if there were any evidence at all that there's a God, but there's no evidence at all that there's a God. And I've seen many, many people make that statement online or even to me personally, and I'm thinking, no evidence? Are you, are you blind? Look around. 
Look at creation. Look at the human body and how it's made. Look, I mean, how it all fits together. I, I understand you, we may wrestle with things, but to suggest there's no evidence, I, I think that's an issue. And Paul said it was too. Romans 1, 18 and 20 said God's wrath, anger, and we don't even like to think of God being a God of wrath, but God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's an interesting phrase, by the way. It says that these are ones who suppress the truth by their sin. In other words, they, they, they live in their sin and they're stomping on the truth in the process. Paul goes on to say that the reason that they're guilty or that God's wrath is being poured out, he says in verse 19, it's because since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. The evidence is everywhere. No one will be able to look at God and say, you didn't provide enough evidence of your existence. Just look at the universes or the universe and all the galaxies that are out there. They go for infinity and beyond. Tell me there's no God because his attributes are seen through creation. Look at the sun too long, you go blind because God is a God of glory. He's revealed himself just like a painter, an artist reveals their work through what they create. God has created all of this to reveal himself to humanity. We are without excuse, but we can set it aside. We can say, oh, I know there's a God, but I don't care anyway. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we end up suffering for it. There's a third reason that why the truth, truth matters. First, it can save us. Second, it can protect us, especially from the, the lies. I think holding on to the truth is a, a good inoculant to the lies. But third, the truth can help us grow in our faith. It's one of the main ways Christians grow. According to the pages of the Bible, it's the truth of God's Word specifically, and the truth of the gospel, and the truth of Christ, and the truth of God's people, all of those kind of factor into these things. But it's one of the main ways we grow as Christians is living out the truth. And so Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, he said, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed or changed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You want to discern the truth? You want to discern what God wants, what's pleasing to him, whatever. It says, don't be conformed to this world. Another version puts it, don't let the world press you into its mold. This world has a mold it's trying to press you in, into, and it is a problem here. But if we're exposed to the truth, it allows us to grow. We need it spiritually. Of course, Moses put it this way, or God through Moses, and Jesus confirmed it when he was tempted. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, we know we, we live by bread or food. In, the, in biblical times, the word bread was a, a euphemism for food. And so Moses was saying, people don't live by food alone. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That is our life. And suddenly you realize the truth of God's word is the life-giving thing. It's not physically just physical food that matters. It's the spiritual food. 
And so raises the question, I mean, do you, do you want your mind renewed? Do you want discernment? Do you want to know what is right or not? Then don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. God's word is truth. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this in Ephesians 4. He talked about the role of, of the church and Jesus himself and the truth, all three coming together to help us grow spiritually. He said in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who's the head Christ. You see that speaking the truth in love, let's grow. I don't like the truth. No, this is how we grow. It confronts things in our lives. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who's the head Christ. From him, from Christ, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. You see, all, he's, he's likening this to the church, to a body, a physical body, and Jesus is the head of that body, but he's talking about all of us being parts of the body, and as we're all functioning together, this thing grows. But the starting point is we're, we're speaking the truth in love. We're, we're walking along the path of what is true and what is right. James put it this way, that God's Word is like a mirror that exposes things. You know, you look in a mirror, you see what needs to be fixed. That's what God's Word does to us. It allows us to see and how essential this is. I shared this story about a year ago, um, and it relates to this America's Got Talent idea. But when I first moved here, not long after I moved here, we formed a student organization on campus. In one, one year, all the student organizations, this was early on, all of the student organizations came together to put on a talent show at the ballroom at the West Virginia University. So we were all going to come together and put together this nice talent show. And, uh, and it was well attended. Hundreds and hundreds of people showed up for this thing. All the, all the Christian groups joined together. It was really a nice thing. And at one point, this young man came out, and I recognized him. He wasn't, I wouldn't call him a friend, but I knew him. I had met him before. I knew what group he was even a part of. And he went over and began to play the piano. He introduced himself, began to play, and it was beautiful. I mean, I, I, I just was, I thought, wow, you really, you are really good at playing the piano. But then he began to sing. And to the degree that the piano playing was good, the singing was, it was horrific. I'm, I don't, I think I'm not being, I, I, I didn't want to be cruel. I, I started laughing. To be, to be fair, the laughing wasn't all my fault. Okay, I was sitting two-thirds of the way back, which I was grateful for that. But my roommate who helped, came here to start the church with me, I was sitting there controlling myself, being respectful, and I felt this shaking next to me. And I looked over, and he had his hands in his face, and he was laughing, and that was it. And then I lost it, and I could not stop. I was crying. It was so, the singing was all over the place to start with, and it was in different octaves. You know, he'd be singing down here, and then all of a sudden he'd shoot up here. If he couldn't reach the one down here, it was up here, and he was going back and forth. I'd never heard anything like it. And again, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't want to be cruel or anything. I just, it struck me as I, I just couldn't do anything about my response. It just, it was what it was, and I couldn't stop. You know how that is when you start laughing, then you're in trouble. 
and I had to I'd try to sneak out. Hopefully I wouldn't run into him and have to explain what I thought. I probably would have said, you're a great piano player. I mean, I would have been honest about that part of it. Well, all of it, hopefully, whatever I would say. But the thought occurred to me, why didn't someone tell him the truth? And I'm not talking about just getting better. Uh, I mean, someone had, someone knew. Certainly, the group he was a part of, they knew what, that he couldn't sing at all. So it wasn't that he couldn't sing some, he couldn't sing at all. Somebody should have told him that. Now, why would that matter? Well, we need the truth to change or grow. And this may not be fixable. Sometimes when it comes to musical things, you just can't, some just don't maybe have the ear for it. That's possible. But if you knew, you could begin working on it. Someone could help you with your breath control. Someone could help you, whatever. I don't know how you even help. But the truth helps you change. That's my point. The truth, knowing the truth will help you grow. And that's what God's word does to us. And we're called upon to help lead people back to the truth when they get astray. And so James wrote in James 5, 19 and 20, he said, my brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, so maybe they're not following Christ like they should be or they're involved in things that are just not the way of life. If any among you strays from the truth and someone turns them back, let them know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sin. It's dangerous to let someone just continue straying away in the lie that they're living. And although they may not like it, the most loving thing we could do sometimes is say, listen, here's the truth. The way you're living is inconsistent with what God says. You are not on the path of life. You're on the way of destruction. Turn back. And so it really matters. It would be the best gift you could give them. So let me summarize and give you some questions by way of application. First is uh, the truth matters. I gave you three reasons why. Uh, the first is that it can save us both, I think, spiritually and physically. We need the truth. We need to be saved. Second, it can protect us, especially protect us from being deceived by lies. Lots of lies out there. And third, the truth can help us grow in our faith. I think it's one of the keys to maturity. And if we ignore the truth, I think we're still held accountable to it. You know, if I'm driving 70 miles an hour and I'm pulled over by a police officer who tells me it's 35 miles an hour and I say, I didn't know, it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe because I'm a minister, they might have mercy. No, it doesn't matter. Ignorance, it doesn't matter. We're guilty. It's no excuse. So let me close with these questions. First of all, maybe to evaluate your own life, do you love the truth? You know, and you'll be faced with situations in the days ahead where you're gonna, someone's going to say, this is the truth, and you're going to push back. I do that. I know I do that. But I, I, I want to be the kind of person that listens and says, yeah, that may be the truth. I want to love the truth. I want to live in the truth. I want to stand in the truth. Second, where do you turn for truth? What is trustworthy? And we'll be talking about some of these things in the day ahead. I'm convinced, though, that the Word of God and the living Word of God, Jesus, and the people of God are a good place to begin. And then finally, do you have people in your life that will love you enough to tell you the truth? We need people. All of us need people. This is part of the reason for the church. We need people in our lives that will come up to us and lovingly say, hey, this is off, and we should listen to them. Let's pray. Father, 
I just love how your word is truth. I thank you that you loved us so much as to reveal yourself to us through your word and, and especially through your son Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask you, Lord, in the days ahead, you give us the grace to apply these things we've talked about to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.